with the woodsman preacher this is pastor josh lucci thanks for coming back this is a sermon on luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 uh, that was preached over at Eastside baptist church not too long ago just thought i'd share it with you guys enjoy all right guys we're going to be in luke chapter 5 okay verse 1 luke chapter 5 verse 1 is where we will be i'm using the, the new bible that charlie got me it's got nice big letters on it i have officially become an old guy because I now have a, a bigger letter Bible, and I appreciate it deeply. I no longer make fun of people for that. So, um, so um, if we could, we're going to do something a little different, um, something that um, I, I saw at a church that I preached at once that I really loved. So if we could all stand together in honor of reading God's word, that would be great. All right, so Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out to where it's deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But... If you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought the partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to even be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners... James and John, the son of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You may be seated. All right, so let's dig into this, right? It says, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, or um, Lake Gennesaret, which is kind of just another name for it. Why was Jesus preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee? He kind of identified that area as um, ground zero for where he was really beginning his ministry. Um, why? Okay, the people that would congregate there, they were workers. They were fishermen. They were people who sold fishermen some food sometimes. They were not in the city, around the synagogues, wearing, you know, selling wares in the street. They were not merchants. These were the workers. Okay, it, it really shows... Um, what, what are the kind of people that God came for? These were the people that were the nitty-gritty. Okay, sure, salt of the earth, but their mouths weren't super clean. They weren't super educated for the most part. Uh, these were workers, and this is where Jesus chose to be. Now, yes, some of the folks from the city would come and gather when they'd hear, hear that, you know, this guy named Jesus was going to be preaching by the water's edge. But he really, what he did was he came into their area. These were the people Jesus was looking to meet. You know, I, I think that's just really important to understand with that. I said that great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. This was not like what you guys are doing today, where you're sitting here listening to the word of God that we have been given through uh, filtration of, you know, does this letter uh, apply to this canon and all this stuff. This was like the John 1, 1 word of God. 
that Jesus was the word. Okay? Imagine being on the side of a lake, listening not just to the Bible, but to the word of God speak the word of God. That's what these guys were doing. That's what these crowds were doing. And it, the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it says that they pressed in on him. And I think that's, that's an interesting piece of this. Um, when, when you press in, you know, if you've ever worked with teenagers, if you've ever taken them to a concert, you know what that feels like. It's like you are in my personal bubble, okay? You are pressing in on me. You're touching me. Please, you know, like back off, people. Okay, and so there was bound to be a little bit of frustration there. People were pressing in so much that Jesus was kind of pushed up against the shoreline, right? The shoreline, if you look at, if you go on the computer, on the internet, look at the Sea of Galilee and what those shorelines look like, they're fairly shallow shorelines that would kind of go in. They had rocky precipices around them, but it was fairly flat, right? So that if you were in a crowd watching somebody preach or somebody speak to a group, you're not going to be able to see much if everybody's standing up. Right? It's like, okay, if everybody sat down, it would be different maybe. Or if the people in the back stood up, and the front, but that would you know, take some organization to get to that point. And, and that's not what this crowd was doing. They were pressing in on each other. They were trying to hear what he had to say. And you know, it's just this, this idea of pressure and frustration. Right? Um, and so it says uh, that Jesus saw a couple of empty boats, Right? And I think that's interesting. For, for the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. So the fishermen, they, for the most part, they would fish in the Sea of Galilee at night. Um, I did a little bit of research. For the most part, they're, they're tilapia that they were fishing for. And these are a fish that, that congregate in schools at night on the shores, like in the shallows of uh, the Sea of Galilee. They go down deeper during the heat of the day because the edge of the, the water warms up a little bit to where it's not comfortable, and the predators can get to the fish and things like that. So... Um, fishermen, you know, they would, to make it easy on themselves, they would boat around or even wade out in the water along the shoreline at night. Okay, there's no shade. It's not like the Mackenzie River or Willamette River over here where you can fish comfortably in the shade um, of the, you know, even in the heat of the day. No, this was, this area had shrubs and plants, but no, not a whole lot of tall trees around the Sea of Galilee. So just to avoid the heat of the day, even, they would fish at night. And it was more effective, right? So when Jesus was walking along, probably somewhere mid-morning, these guys were out of their boats. Their boats were parked up on the shore, and they were washing their nets, right? Um, the kind of nets, I did a little bit more digging, you know, what kind of nets were they using. They're not like drag nets. These are the big circle nets that you guys could see, you know, people throwing out there. I actually bought a circle net a couple of years ago because I was really curious. Um, it is an art form. It is not easy. In fact, I spent more time untangling this net than I did throwing it. Um, you know, and, and it, as you, do, you throw it out there, it sinks to the bottom. There's weights along the edge. And when it sinks to the bottom, it traps everything, all the fish and whatever else is in there. But it also traps all the weeds and the clay and the, the gunk on the bottom. In Oregon, it's more like frog eggs and things like that. And so when you pull the net, it encircles it, and it traps everything in there, fish and all. And you pull it up to yourself. So these nets get really dirty. They take a lot of time to untangle, Right? And these nets um, probably were passed from generation to generation. Um, you know, they would repair them if they got a hole. For the most part, until they really rotted away, they wouldn't throw them away and get a new net. There was no reason for that. And so these were valuable things. You had to take care of them. Every time you used them, you washed them because the water, um, you know, and all the gunk in the water. So these fishermen, they weren't fishing. It was starting to heat up. The fishing wasn't good anyway. They were on the edge of the shore taking care of their nets. It said that Jesus saw the two boats. 
You saw, like, here's something that I could do. The crowds are pushing in on me. Nobody can really hear me speaking away in the back. So maybe if I move out on the water, this will solve my problem, right? He said, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon. Now, if you guys are sitting here like it's no big deal to step into somebody's boat, okay? Um, Cultural differences aside, you don't just step into a boat. Okay. I, have, I have a boat. I have a riverboat. My dad and I went in together when I was younger, and we bought a riverboat. Um, and it, it's, I just love this thing. It's super fun. Um, but I could tell you, if I, was, if I had my boat pulled up on the side of the river, and I'm getting the gear and stuff out of my, my rig, and some guy walks up and steps into my boat, I, I'm, I'm not going to be thrilled about it. It's not like a normal sort of thing. And steps in, sits down, and waits for me to come over. <laughs> what are you doing, right? You know, that's the first thing they teach you, you know, as far as you, know, you ask the captain, you know, permission to board the boat. Jesus does not ask permission to board the boat. And I think that's a really interesting thing um, because, yes, Simon Peter was the owner of the boat, but I think it shows who really the captain was. That, you know, Jesus was like, I, I spoke the wood that you used to make this boat into existence, you know, the cedars or, you know, whatever it was that they used to, you know, I spoke them into existence. Yeah, you're, you, you're using my boat. I'm going to get into my boat and we'll talk, right? And it says its owner, or no, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. You know, if you guys have ever been out on the water, you know, early in the morning, I don't know, We've taken the youth group skiing a few times out on the lake, and, um, you know, I've, I've camped alongside lakes and rivers, and sound carries like crazy across water. And how cool of a thing it would be to, to be a, a preacher where you're looking at so, such a big crowd along the edge that, you're like, you're looking around and you're going, okay, this makes the perfect amphitheater. You know, the folks in the back can't hear me standing up here, but if I come out on the water, my voice is going to carry, it's going to bounce off the rocks that are surrounding the back end of the Sea of Galilee there, and people are going to be able to hear me. And I think that's really, it, it shows that, yes, Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man, but he was a smart dude. He saw a problem and he decided to fix it. I always wondered, why, why did Jesus pick Simon Peter? You know, I've, I've heard uh, sermons preached that, yeah, you know, Simon had boldness. Simon Peter had boldness. Jesus picked him because he was bold. I know, I see a lot of reasons why Jesus shouldn't have picked him. He was arrogant. He was a know-it-all. He was violent. He was a fisherman, <laughs> okay? He probably didn't have the cleanest mouth. There was all kinds of reasons he shouldn't have picked. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, yeah, he was bold, and, you know, he had a crew with him, and maybe there's a, you know why I think, this is just me thinking out loud, but why I think he, Jesus probably picked Simon Peter, I think he picked him because he had a boat. And, you know, last night I was thinking about this. I was like, the more I thought about it, the more it really started to make sense. He picked him because he had a boat. And if Simon Peter had said, what are you doing? No, I'm not going to, I'm washing my nets. I'm tired. I just spent the whole night. I didn't catch a thing. And then I got to thinking, if somebody stepped into my boat at the end of a fishing trip and looked at me expectantly, (laughs) I hadn't caught anything. My attitude would be a whole lot different even. It wouldn't be just like, who are you? It'd be like, dude, get out of my boat. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I got chores I got to do. I, I got a whole crew I got to take care of. I, we didn't make any money. I have this crew that is expecting to be paid. 
We didn't make any money. They're not happy. I'm not happy. But Jesus picked him because he had a boat. And if he, if he had said no, I'd imagine Jesus would have moved on to the second boat. There were two boats there. Imagine for a second if Peter had said no, the kind of blessing he would have missed out on in the next three, three, three and a half years. He probably would have continued fishing. That's kind of a win-win. I mean, yeah, it was a job, but it's still fishing. I get that. He probably would have gotten to stay with his family. He would have missed out on some amazing blessing, though. It's not just blessing. He also would have missed out on being crucified upside down. (laughs) It goes to show you that if you say yes to Jesus asking you for your boat, you're going to get blessing, but you're also going to have some major challenges. And there's no reason to sugarcoat it. Right? So, so Simon Peter said yes. He pushed him out on the water. I think it's interesting, too, that, that Jesus asked him to push him out. Jesus could have said, hey, um, I'm in your boat. Push me out on the water. I think he had that authority. Um, you know, later on, Simon Peter calls him master. I think there's some recognition that Jesus has some authority. But he said, he, the Bible says that he asked Simon Peter for a push. And I, I think we can take that too, you know. We all have our boats, right? The reason God calls us is we have a boat. We have some, something to offer. But he also asks us. This is he asked Simon Peter to push him out on the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now this is where it gets interesting, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Let me tell you a story. I, uh, my son and I love to go fishing. I, we go fishing with my wife as often as we can too. And uh, if you guys have met Caleb, he's got a huge personality, for better or for worse. He's got this huge personality. He's a lot of fun. He's a huge blessing in our lives. But every once in a while, he can, he can get a little abrasive. He can be hard to, to deal with. We were fishing one day. My, you know, my wife, Nadia, and I, and Caleb, we were all on the boat. And I was dealing with, you know, tangles in the line and unhooking fish. It was a good day. We were catching a lot of fish. Um, but, you know, with Caleb, he's got this cool little Spider-Man fishing pole. And we were in a spot to where, I mean, you could just cast right over there and catch a fish. And so I just put my pole down and... I was unhooking fish for him and making sure he had more bait on and everything. And he looks at me, and he, he takes pity on me. He says, I'm not catching anything. And he says, hey, you know, Dad, if you just cast over there, you'll catch fish. Like, you know, and, and I, as I was reading this, I start to understand Simon Peter's attitude in the next verse where I'm like, yeah, dude, I know. <laughs> I, like, I'm the one that taught you how to do this. Like, you're not the expert on the boat. You're, you know, at that point, you were a six-year-old kid. Dude, yeah, I know, right? Um, and we look at the attitude that Simon Peter has here in the next verse. So, you know, now we you know, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. And in verse 5, it says, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. So was there any reason, any really necessary reason for him to say that? I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with, with a, a person that gives you this like, no duh kind of statement. You're like, okay, allow me to enlighten you on the situation, even though you should probably know, right? Um, Jesus, when Jesus walked up, he saw they were cleaning out their nets. There was no fish in the boat. There were no fish drying on the shore being salted. 
There was no dancing like it was such a great day to catch fish. Jesus knew they hadn't caught anything. And Simon Peter said, Master, in his head, he's like, you already know this, but let me say it again. We didn't catch anything. We're tired. You are a carpenter. That was a cute sermon that you just preached. That was great and all. Like, I got a little bit out of it. But I'm tired, and you're keeping me out here. But, hey, you know what? Okay. Okay, I don't know if you guys have ever thrown your hands up and just been like, okay, if I just give in to this, it will probably not develop into something bigger. So, okay. Okay, I'll do it. All right. All right, the the peacemaker people in the room will understand what I'm talking about. So he says, um, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Right? The implication of this is that his nets are going to get dirty again. Probably for nothing. That's what's happening in his mind. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do all this work. I just cleaned them. I just had my crew clean them. They're not getting paid because we didn't catch anything. I'm going to get my nets dirty again. I am exhausted. You, you just used my boat. Okay, fine. All right, I'll, I'll get the nets dirty again. I'll have to clean them again. I'll have to have my guys stay. They're going to be even more irritated with me. But you know what, Jesus? Okay, fine. We'll do it. Right? And it says in verse 6, And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And shout, help, uh, shout for help brought, them partners, uh, brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. I read that, and, it, you know, if you, you grew up in Sunday school or VBS, you've, you've seen this story. You've probably seen it on a flannel graph if you're over 35 years old. Um, you know, the, the boat and the sinking the fish, and it's just this amazing thing. And that's, as a kid, that's what you take away. And, and I love fishing. I loved fishing as a young person, and I was like, that's amazing. That is so cool. Hey, you know what? The lesson is if I respond in obedience, Jesus is going to bless my socks off. Boom, out the door. I'm going to go have my cookie snack now. Okay. And that's, that's kind of where, where it ends for, for the, the flannel graph story. But I think there's a lot more that we can pull out of this. I think sometimes that blessing comes um, at the end of a long day. I think that blessing comes when you've done everything that you can possibly to provide. That you've done everything and you're at your wit's end. You're kind of giving up. You're packing it in. You're like, I gave it my best shot. That's all I can do. You know, sorry, everybody. Uh, I failed you as a captain. We didn't get any fish today. Uh, You're not going to be able to buy the loaf of bread for your family today. It's going to be kind of a rough week for us. But, okay. I think sometimes that's when that blessing comes. Yeah, it was a huge blessing. It was such a big blessing that it impacted their lives in a way that caused them to make some different decisions says that when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. And I think when it says that when he realized what happened, it wasn't that he realized that there was a lot of fish. It wasn't that he realized that probably it was so much fish that it would pay for a month's worth of bills. In fact, I did a little bit of research. These boats could carry half a ton of fish each before they were in danger of sinking. So probably we're looking at like just a little over half a ton, maybe three quarters of a ton per boat. That's a lot of tilapia, <laughs> right? Um, as a commercial fisherman, that would, that would take care of so many bills. You 
pay off debts. You could, you know, but when it says Simon Peter, when he realized what had happened, I don't think that's what it's talking about, right? This is not the first interaction that Jesus and Simon Peter had had. You know, you look back in Matthew, you look back in Mark, there's interactions around John the Baptist where Jesus had had interactions with these guys before, but I don't think they realized who Jesus really was. To them at that moment, he was this teacher that knew a lot of stuff about the scrolls and the scriptures, and he was definitely worth paying attention to. He could do some amazing things, but I think that is the moment when Simon Peter realized what had just happened, that he had had an interaction with the Son of God. It wasn't about the amount of fish. That he had had an interaction with the God that created the fish. And that's what changed the course of his life forever. That's the realization that he had had. Right? And instead, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. And I think that was probably a true statement. I don't think he was being self-deprecating at that moment. I think he was realizing whose presence he was then. It says, For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught and the others that were with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. It was something that was just incredible. Then he said, Jesus replied to him, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they had landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And you through lately, we've been talking a lot about what do you need to give up to follow Jesus. Yes, it is a free gift, but it is the most expensive free gift you will ever see. Why? Because you've got to give everything up to follow Jesus. And we see that time and time again. And, you know, talking to teenagers, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I have to, like, go through all my stuff in my room and sell it and leave behind and follow, I, I don't know, some preacher or you know, like, what does that mean in life? And I keep going back to that idea that, you know, holding things in the palm of your hand instead of the fist of your hand. You know, I deal with, with young people on a daily basis that are they're being pounded into their heads that they have to have a plan for their future. If you don't have a plan, you're foolish. If you don't have a plan, you better get one. And yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in having a plan. Right? But some of the, some of the folks that I deal with they're so zeroed in on what they feel that their plan is that when God asks for their boat, they're like, uh-uh, nope, I have this plan. Or they get fearful when they start reading verses like this where it says they gave up everything. And I understand that feeling. When, when I was a young man, I thought I was going to be a firefighter. Uh, you know, my dad was the lieutenant at the station. I grew up around firefighting, and it was awesome. I became a junior firefighter as a high schooler, and then I got hired into the fire department, and they trained and paid for my training. Um, I got to drive a rescue jet boat. That was like the coolest job I've ever had. It was so much fun. Yeah, I've done some cool jobs, but that was one of the coolest. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I was. This is, this is what I should be doing. And I started to really ignore the fact that a couple years previous, God had called me into the ministry. You know, I've told you guys a story where my youth pastor said, Josh, if there's anything else that you can do and be happy, do it. Because the ministry is hard. And you'll probably have to pay to do it. They would, you know, chances of you actually making a living. There's a better chance of you becoming a professional athlete than being able to make a living working in the ministry. 
do the numbers. That's the way it works out. And so, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, I'll try a whole lot of other things. And I, I had to give up those plans. I, I became a welder for a while. I was really good at it. Um, I did that for a while. I was a valve technician for a while. I built log cabins for a while. That was really fun. Had this big old mountain man beard. It was really neat. I remember waking up one time. I was living in a tiny little camping trailer, and the snow had snowed so much that I couldn't open my door. And I had to pop the emergency exit out on the roof so I could go out and shovel out the door. Some of you guys are like, man, that is awful. For me, I was like, that was so much fun. <laughs> and, I, you know, I draw on all those things for what I do now, but it was hard for me to give up control because God kept pushing me this direction. He kept pushing me this direction. He kept saying, Josh, you have a boat. I want to use your boat. I'm choosing you because you have something that I need. Now, wait a second. That starts to, to go into the whole like tithing thing, like God needs your money, the church needs your money to do this, God needs your talent to do that. And you know, as I wrestled with this concept, I was like, did did Jesus need Peter's boat, or did Peter need Jesus to get into his boat? And I really think it was the latter. I don't think that the creator of the universe needed anything from Peter. <laughs> I think that Peter needed the creator of the universe to use him. And I think that's really the takeaway from this. It's also the fact that obedience does not require a good attitude. <laughs> right? Peter did not have a great attitude. And, and we see all kinds of reasons why. It's like, yeah, it's super justified, but he was still obedient. You know, my son, Caleb, you know, I'm teaching him about obedience, and it's not always with a good attitude does he do things, but I still give him credit when he does it. Because that's really what obedience looks like. Despite what I want to do, I will not consult my emotions to decide whether or not I'm going to be obedient. We see that in Peter. You know, when it comes to tithing and the church... Does God really need your money? You know, you own the God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. and No, I really think it's that you need God to use your money. You need to see the miracle that comes from your obedience. It's not that God needs, it's that you need, that we need. Does God need your prayers? Nope. I think that you need the relationship that comes from those. Does Joey and Riel need our prayers to heal them? Nope. I think that what we need is to see what faith in a God that created the universe can do for a couple that put their faith in him. And that's why I love this section of scripture. It speaks a lot about need. And it starts to turn our previous ideas around what God needs from us on its head. And we start to realize that Peter really needed Jesus in his boat. Okay, so like I tell my teenagers, the question is, how now shall we live, right? Like, understanding all of this, what's the next step? How now shall we live? Well, we all have a boat. Not only do we all have a boat, the person next to us has a boat. So if you choose not to let Jesus into your boat, he will move on to the next person. He does not need you. You need him. And that should be a humbling realization. It is for me. So when, you, when Jesus gets into your boat, 
as he is in the habit of doing. And then he looks at you and says, hey, can you give me a push? And he does ask. We have an option. I think that's one of the beautiful and very unique things about the human creation, is the free will piece. He gives us an option. He may get into our boat. He may really like paint a very clear picture of what he would like us to do, but we still can say no. And sometimes we do. And like I said before, when with Simon Peter, what would have been the consequences if he had said no to Jesus? Well, he would have missed out on three, three and a half years of some of the most amazing, the most amazing things that ever happened in history. He would have missed out on a chance to see in person the word of God walk and touch and speak. He was in a very unique position, but he also would have missed out on being crucified upside down. He would have missed out on persecution. So there is a cost. Like I said, it's the most expensive free gift you will ever accept. There's nothing you can do to pay for it, and yet you have to give everything up in order to follow. And that's the scary part. It should scare you just a little bit. If it doesn't, well, I don't know whether to be worried about you or proud of you, but you should be a little nervous about it because it is a lot to give up. You know, the, the, the idea of the rich man, right? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to make it in heaven. Why? Because he has a lot to give up. <laughs> he has a lot to give up. So if you teach young people at a young age how to hold the things in the palm of their hand, it's much easier as they grow older to maintain that practice. So, again, how now shall we live? You have your boat. Jesus is in your boat. What do you say? Right? Jesus gets into your boat. He gives you an amazing blessing. And here comes the last lesson. Whenever you have work with Jesus, there are two kinds of people. There is the crowd, and then there's the crew. The crowd are the ones that they want to hear. They've heard there's miracles. They've heard there's food. <laughs> They're curious. Some of them may even be angry, but they've come, and they press in. There's a, a certain selfishness to it sometimes, but they press in because they're curious. There's irritation. There's frustration. And then there's the crew, the called, the ones who respond to the call. Right? And you can um, apply that in a lot of different ways. I choose to apply it like this. The crowd is the people around us, the world. And whether they're angry, whether they're upset, whether they disagree, they're all kind of pushing in, right? You look at the political climate, you look at the social climate, you look at the gender climate, you look at all kinds of different things that are going on. It is pushing in, whether it is a good push or a bad push. And then you have the crew, the people with the boats, that Jesus is saying, I want to use you and you need me to use you. So you get to choose. That can look in a, like a lot of different ways. It can be serving in the church. Carol, Carol needs help. <laughs> right? Serving in the church, is, it's a great way to start. It could be prayer. Joey and Riel, they need a lot of prayer. Some of you guys are gifted prayer warriors. That, that is not one of my gifts. That's not my boat. I love the fact that some people are they're so talented in prayer. Some people are talented in giving. Some people are talented in speaking. Some people are talented in relationally. 
Okay, I, I know a man named Dave Mertz. He was the, the leader over at Camp Harlow for a long time. He could memorize every single staff name by the first week of camp. I, there's no way I could do that, even if I tried really, really hard, and I did for a while, because he, he taught me that that was a really important part of ministry. But he was gifted in that. That was a relational gift. That was part of his boat, is that gift. Right? We talk with the teenagers a lot, especially in our huddle group, about their gifts. We even took this really cool online test about identifying your gifts, essentially identifying your boat. Find your gift and allow God to get in the boat and use you. Right? Right? Let's, Let's pray. pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you. Just then, oh God, how I need.